Hi, I'm Isaac Dover. Welcome to Off Message. We have a really cool episode this week. It brings together a lot of different pieces, uh, and we're going to start off with a conversation between Margaret Atwood and Elizabeth Moss about The Handmaid's Tale. Atwood wrote the book. Elizabeth Moss is starring in the new uh, television series about it. And they talked about what it is to have that book going on and that uh, television series going on in their heads as they look at a political situation in reality that they are opposed to and that in some ways they think connects to uh, what is in the obviously fictional uh, situation of The Handmaid's Tale. you, if you haven't read the book, you should read the book because it's a really good book and classic book. I have seen the first couple of episodes of the series, and it is really uh, beautifully shot and engaging. I would recommend it. Uh, it starts on Hulu on April 26th, streaming. Uh, then we're going to go to a conversation with Stephanie Shriok, who is the president of Emily's List. Emily's List, of course, is focused on getting women to run for office, has been for its entire existence, but that work has taken on a different feeling now from what Shriok was talking about. And we talked about what Clinton's loss meant to that kind of women's political activism and this question of whether it actually has led to more women getting involved politically from the first potential female president losing than what it would have been had Clinton won. Uh, and we also talked about what, what the actual resistance is in, in The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, they, uh, the people who are fighting back against the uh, society restrictive of women there call themselves the resistance. That book was written a long time ago, uh, but still the same word. And uh, Shriak talked about how the resistance and what her opposition to Trump uh, is uh, is coming together in a, in a different way than she had been expecting when uh, she was at the Javits Center on election night, assuming that she'd be celebrating Hillary Clinton's win. But we're going to start off with another uh, one of our featured reporters. Uh, this time it's with Annie Carney, who's one of my colleagues, covered uh, the Clinton campaign alongside each other. Now she's covering uh, the Trump White House. And uh, one of the things that she specializes in is coverage of Ivanka Trump and this strange role that Ivanka Trump has taken on in the White House. And she'll actually uh, be in Berlin with Ivanka Trump when she's there for this women's event with uh, Angela Merkel at the Chancellor's invitation. We're trying a bunch of new things, uh, as you can tell. So I want to know your feedback. Let me know what you think. Email me at Isaac, I-S-A-A-C, at Politico.com. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Facebook. But most importantly, subscribe and rate us on iTunes or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. Now let's go to Andy Carney. What the people who are on the podcast today talk about, they're all women and they're all people who do not like Donald Trump and uh, feel like he is anti-woman. What would Trump say to that? What would uh, the Trump White House say to that charge? They would clearly deny that charge. (laughs) Surprising. They would probably point to like roundtables they've done with CEOs on women's empowerment issues and um, the group that Ivanka Trump set Mm -hmm. up to greet Chancellor Merkel. You know, Ivanka Trump is a senior, the most senior advisor in the White House, and she's pitching her whole being on working on issues around women and girls. And seems very sensitive to the attacks that women have made on her. That interview that right. uh, where she was asked about the complicit thing. That yes, was... she thinks it's sexist. She thinks the criticism is unfair. She thinks like no matter what she did, she would be um, made fun of. She she's, thinks like if she just stayed in New York and ran her business and right. didn't do anything, people would say, why aren't you doing anything? And now she's trying to do something. It's like, why aren't you doing but is that? But it, is it just Ivanka Trump? Is that the, the women's portfolio is with Ivanka Trump? Or is there other work that's being done to address that? I mean, there is a big concern among a lot of women that uh, if only because of Trump's own personal behavior, yeah. um, and of course the Access Hollywood tape and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, if, it's funny how much that's gone away. Yeah, Like the campaign was all about you know, more than a dozen women coming out and accusing him of assault or harassment. And like, we just don't hear about that anymore. Yeah. Those stories just went away. Like, where are those women? But we should I, look into that. now it's... I've <laughs> <laughs> um, got a story to work is, on I mean, for, like, TBD on... Like, I mean, Ivanka's going to have to come 
at some point it's going to be like, where's the beef yeah. for all the talk and all the panels? Like you can do a lot of round tables and they're great photo ops. Um, but what has she achieved? Yeah. Oh, one thing that the Trump White House has struggled with, if you look at the photo ops, they've been really bad. Um, like Trump, so many pictures of Trump surrounded by all men yeah. at a table. Which is funny. That, that was a problem for Obama, too. Yeah. But uh, And he, they took a lot of flack for it. But it wasn't the same thing of like Obama being anti-woman, although right. he did tend to surround himself with white right. men also. I mean, they've they passed an executive order last week that um, gives states the right to not fund Planned Parenthood and other right. abortion providers. Um Ivanka Trump has not spoken out on the Planned Parenthood issue. She claims she's, you know, oh, she gave the proceeds of her book she's going to give to charities that work with women and girls. It's, I mean, it's still a lot of lip service with not a lot of um, points on the board where yeah. she can point to, like, what she's actually done for women. So you're going to be in Berlin with her. Mm-hmm. What is this trip and how does it fit into what it is that she's doing and this weird uh, role that she has within the White yeah, House? Yeah, it's actually, I think, really interesting. Merkel invited her after her visit here where she had a very tense exchange with Trump who, like, didn't shake her hand <laughs> right. in the Oval. Um, and it's Despite a, her asking. Right. Like, this is <laughs> right. time to shake hands. Um, she reached out to Ivanka to come to speak at this women's conference she's putting together, which... It's not the like uh, Trudeau did the same thing, Re- looking at Ivanka mm-hmm. as a way to like work the family angle to have diplomatic relations with this strange administration. He invited Ivanka Trump to go see a Broadway play. <laughs> I think that the play was about accepting foreigners mm-hmm. and accept being, being tol- tolerant. So it's kind of a genius move on his part. Um, but I think world leaders, I've been told by White House officials that these are not the only two requests they've had from world leaders to do something with Ivanka, that right. she's really sought after. To like to work this family angle, to have like a she's like a diplomat. No, and and, and like her husband, who everybody wonders, well, why does everybody go to him? Well, part of it is that people are being smart; they see where the they power see where is. The power right? is right. Um, like, and then so, and then with so much turmoil in the White House, like maybe Steve Bannon's out soon, maybe not. Right. But like the people are not going to be out. Right, Ivanka well, Trump, Trump is not Ivanka be out. Trump won't be out. be out. Yeah, so <laughs> it's probably a good bet to like establish a relationship with her. Uh, yeah. So you also had an interaction uh, with another first daughter in the last couple of days. There was a, a, a cover of Variety, right, with yeah. Chelsea Clinton on it, um, in which you pointed out that she – you said – Oh, what? yeah. This is, so the women's issues are so <laughs> difficult sometimes. So she's on this cover of Variety magazine, a power woman issue, yeah. like huge smile on her face, wearing this leather jacket, just like a – looked like the a new rebranding of Chelsea. And she's laughing – and I just looked like really, at, laughing. really laughing. <laughs> and I looked at this cover and I like just was staring at it thinking like, what what is the reader supposed to be taking away right. from this? Like, why is she so happy? Like, <laughs> which is what you what tweeted. And so I tweeted very why good is she so snarky happy? tweet, um, which I approve of. And I got um, just I was immediately like kind of went viral with people hate saying, I, why do you hate women? Why can't you allow women to be happy? Yeah. Stop picking on Chelsea. And then she responded with a very snarky response. Yeah, she responded by saying that she was thinking about what her daughter Charlotte, like moments that filter with joy, yeah. uh, and that she hoped that you had someone <laughs> that brought joy to your life, something like right. that, right? So yeah. she, it's very, first of all, there's just no way that she was thinking about it. Like, that's, that's yeah, not how she wrote like, work. I was thinking about all the amazing <laughs> moments when Charlotte makes me laugh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hope the people in your life bring you so much joy or something like that. Um, I just read it as I was surprised at, um, that she responded at all and took the bait. I mean, she's clearly – they're setting her up to run for something. Like why – like my question why is she so happy is more more why is she on a cover of a magazine right now? <laughs> right. What is going on with Chelsea Clinton, this relaunch? And um, her, her responding to that question made me think she might be a little thin-skinned for politics. Yeah. That was Annie Carney. We're going to go to our conversation with Margaret Atwood and Elizabeth Moss. But first, let's hear from one of our other great Politico podcasts, which is pretty apropos for this episode. It's called Women Rule, and it's hosted by my friend and editor, Carrie Budoff-Brown. When I was involved in a lot of these boards, I was the only woman in the room. None of us got here by being namby-pamby. Right, so there's a G-rated version and there's a not-so-G-rated version. I'll, since this is a podcast, I guess I can do like the full-on version. 
I've said to not just to Kellyanne, but to all women who are thinking about getting into this arena, you've you got to try. I'm Carrie Budoff-Brown, host of Politico's Women Rule podcast. And those were just a few of my favorite moments so far. Join me as we go backstage with bosses like Tina Chen, Valerie Jarrett, and Senator Deb Fisher. I want to know how these women made it to the top and what difference it makes when women are in power. Subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. New episodes every other Wednesday. Just search Women Rule. And now my conversation with Margaret Atwood and Elizabeth Moss. We uh, set the scene for you a little bit. We met at the Hay Adams Hotel in Washington, which uh, is just about a block and a half from the White House. You can see the White House from the rooms or from the driveway. We met in this room. There was a press junket day for them. Uh, and the room that we were set up in had these really crazy murals all over the walls. It was like scenes from some sort of colonial, sort of pastoral, uh, not quite clear what time period or geographical location it was supposed to be. It was pretty confusing. Uh, there were some it looked like they could almost fit in with the characters in The Handmaid's Tale, but sort of not. And uh, you will hear them trying to make sense of what was on the walls around them before we got into trying to make sense of what is going on in politics and what is going on uh, in the, the book and the show. Sort of some sort of dystopian world that <laughs> hasn't been written yet. Colonial <laughs> fever dream. Oh, if you need to start taking it notes. Actually, I wonder if it's intentionally different because it's different architecture as well. It is. You know I think I mean? it is intentionally different. I think it's different. intentional. It's supposed to be different places. Dream on, Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> people, people did this on purpose. <laughs> well, what I like is the shepherd as his top is falling off. She's right behind you. Oh, scandalous. <laughs> Quite scandalous. Yeah. I mean, if I were herding sheep, I wouldn't wear that, but no. nor those white stones. Uh, Let's start by just getting this out of the way. What What are your thoughts on Donald Trump and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and what uh, his presidency represents, what his election represents, uh, what he is? Uh, All right. So the answer to uh, what his presidency represents is we do not know because it's different every day. And uh, sometimes it's different even from what he said the day before. So the China is sometimes not Sometimes within one day. Sometimes within one day, just depends. Uh, China's not a currency manipulator today. Who knew? But yeah. they might be a currency manipulator <laughs> they tomorrow. They were. They were. Well, maybe they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they never were. Maybe that was a mistake. Uh, so we don't actually know, and nor do we know what the core ideological convictions or beliefs are, if any. We don't even know that. So that is for what uh, this presidency represents. Answer, I do not know. Uh, why did he get elected? That's a whole other question. I think he I got, that one too. <laughs> <laughs> I think he got elected because a lot of people were quite angry about their position in life and nobody was paying attention to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were angry because they have seen the position of the middle class and the position that their children might be expected to have in the future. They have seen those diminish rather than increase. And uh, people really need to address the huge imbalance um, in money, yeah. which has become more and more uh, divergent ever since the uh, 50s, 60s, mm-hmm. when things were a lot more equal, and now they're very unequal. And um, that is a problem, see, the French Revolution. And what about to, to each of you? Personally, when you think about that Donald Trump is the president, uh, we're sitting a few blocks from the White House. He's there today, mm-hmm. uh, President Donald Trump. Is that what does that say to you about the country, about your feelings about the country? It's interesting because when I uh, coming to D.C. because I, I have a you know nice view of the the White House uh, from this hotel, and I was actually looking at it last night and it looked beautiful and flag on top and monument behind it and it, it, I was struck by 
how beautiful it looked. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of what my concept of this country is. And Which is what? Well, what's in the Constitution. <laughs> and you- what it's built on, the ideas of freedom and equal rights. And so for me, it was actually quite moved to see this representation in this building of something that I actually, that is important to me. I actually have respect Mm -hmm. for the institution. I have respect for democracy and I have respect for the constitution. And um, I was sort of reminded I, of that, you know, in it seeing like it. feels like there's a butt there floating when it comes to No, there's a so. There's okay. a so. Uh, so when I see things that go against that, when I see things that are infringements upon that, mm-hmm. and what I actually hold quite dear, then uh, I f- find it infuriating and I think and frustrating. Um, and to speak to what Margaret said as well, it's also, I feel like we're in a situation of trying to grab at the truth and trying to grab at the facts and trying to understand what's happening as well as best we can. Mm-hmm. And it's a constant struggle to do that as well. And I think that that is something that um, is, is equally as frustrating. You know, you can disagree with something if you have the facts as long as you know what it is as long as you know what it is that you're disagreeing with exactly but if something if you don't know or if it's something that just keeps changing then you're really in a very confused place and one of the the most striking things to me about the book and and uh, the series is the assumption that's baked into both of them that this can all change so quickly, right? The whole, you have a whole society that you create uh, with all these things and all these customs, and it's like at most maybe 10 years have elapsed since, no, you're shaking your head at me, it's more oh, than that. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, my head shaking is a sort of an Indian agreement. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, because we, we, uh, the, the offered character is uh, was old enough to have been living a professional life and oh, had yeah. a daughter, but is still young enough so that she's fertile, right? Mm-hmm. That's the whole thing. Yeah, so, that so I would say within just a few years. Yeah, even not less, even like, 10. Yeah, like no, this. I mean, it seemed like it yeah, most Yeah, when these things pivot, 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 when these things pivot, they can do it very quickly, like really quickly. And, of course, being the age I am, you know who I'm remembering. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm remembering the whole trajectory of the rise of the Nazi party mm-hmm. to power and then how quickly... Once that power was achieved, how quickly everything changed. Yeah. And you saw that uh, in a somewhat slower form with the Russian Revolution. It took longer because there was a civil war. Um, And Maoist China, again, it took longer because there was a civil war. But but once the power is achieved, uh, things can be pretty rapid. We just saw Mr. Erdogan... Mm-hmm. Um, voting himself or arranging to have voted for himself, however you feel about that election. Uh, sweep, I think most people feel sweeping, like sweeping new powers, and, and we thought came. we had a, we thought he had a lot of sweeping old powers. Mm-hmm. So, so how much more sweeping new powers? But that's that's changing the powers that he has. They're talking about a, a complete change in the society, right? Not um, a complete change in the society, just the rise to prominence and power of an element that was already in the society, mm-hmm. because you cannot change a society completely from without. There has to be something there that mm-hmm. you build that regime on, and they calculate that you need a prox um, 30% of people who agree with you in order to do that. So when uh, it's pretty clear where both of you are on Donald Trump, and <laughs> 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 I, how much do you worry, not maybe that we're going to be at Gilead, um, but that there could be these major changes that would be more than just like the, the politics that you don't uh, agree with right. is winning out. There's something much deeper than that, that that could change. I mean, Into it, a it, totalitarian right. well, society. I mean, or it, maybe there's a stop short of uh, totalitarian Gilead handmaids. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, how does something it, along the way station? Well, or, or do you think that like we could we, be we within a couple of years? I don't the, know, because uh, give America credit, it's very um, ornery mm-hmm. as a country. It's very diverse. And you have already seen that people are not just going to stay at home for all of these things. 
So I think the the danger would be that people get burnt out mm-hmm. and tired of watching the whirly gig and trying to fi- figure out what's going on, and they and they give up on it, and that would of course be a mistake. The very least they can do is vote in their local elections. Mm-hmm. You wrote the book uh, thirty plus years ago. Does it feel like it could happen more quickly now? Or yes. Is it, yeah. Why? Yeah, because. Because more of the people interested in having those kinds of things happen are in power now. So the moment when you know that things have gone um, over the edge is the moment when uh, the regime fires into the protest crowd. Mm-hmm. That's the moment. Which you say, and that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, and it happens early out in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, can't remember whether it's the second or third, third. episode. It's the third episode. Okay. Um, one of the changes that it seemed to me that happened between the book and the series is that Offred becomes uh, her previous life is a, seems to be a little bit more urbane than she was, and maybe I'm misreading the book, but she she seems like the her, job her, is more her present life is more now. Yeah, is Absolutely. that all it is? Is it just sort yeah. of updated? I mean, in in the book, she's uh, transferring books onto disc and. Now she's a, a, she's a publisher, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like, and is, which she's a, a librarian. She book it's, publishing. It's, it's a publishing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah. yeah I mean, does that change the story? Does that change the way no. that you think? She has a job. She has a job in a <laughs> in a smartness area. So yeah. so she's literate. She's smart. Um, she has a best college friend. We know that they've been to college, so yeah. she has some perspective from which to view all of this. And uh, I think a, a number of things just got dated up to now mm-hmm. as, as they would because the series takes off from the now moment, which is now right. 2017, whereas the now moment before was was 1984-5. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's very little, actually, it seems. Like. And there are things in the book they have, like the, the, the compu card, or, right, which it, is now they just didn't, a debit card. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they yeah. didn't have... Well, I had to But other than those here. sorts of things. There right? were no cell phones once right. upon a time. <laughs> once upon a time. Long, long ago. And not that long ago. It sounds like the stuff and, of fiction. Right? Yes. And, and then, they, and then on the way to cell phones, there were these things that were the size of shoeboxes <laughs> you had in your car. And then there were the things you see in old James Bond films, which were very right. perky for the time, but they're quite large with a big antenna sticking yeah. up out of them. So all of those were way stations on right. the way to You know, there's the famous the story of LBJ that um, it's, I think he, he wanted a car phone. I think this is the way that went. And then the, the opposition leader got also a car phone, so LBJ got two car phones. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were huge. They were, in lar- they were very large. They came in a little carrying bag. Right. Uh, but this is even before. This is when even he was a before, Senate leader, yeah, so like yeah, in the early yeah. 60s. Wow. Yeah. wow. That, <laughs> That's that, amazing. That, that must have been very high-tech and rare at that time. Yeah, but, for but sure. But great what use of government means, money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what it means is that because we have all of these devices now, that it's possible to build an even greater data data bank on each individual than was than was possible yeah. with a with just a credit card. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, credit cards came in and uh, in the seventies originally. Yeah, and I I remember them in in Europe. It was like playing. Russian roulette. I mean, you stuck yeah. your card into a machine, <laughs> and it never said, knew it was and it said "You are a criminal." Take your card out <laughs> immediately, and you would take it out and stick it in again, and it would give you a hundred dollars. Oh. So it was just it was like, it was like gambling. <laughs> you just never you just knew. Took your chances. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Margaret said quite earlier when she was talking when she was talking about that. She said quite terrifyingly uh, that because of the database now, how how difficult it would be to disappear. Mm-hmm. It would be difficult in, unless Almost you have chilling. Almost you had never laid a data trail at all ever yeah which is so we have some sci-fi i forget exactly which one but i think it's by william gibson uh in which there are individuals who are below the radar and of course they they hold very privileged positions because nobody knows that they exist yeah Yeah. the authorities don't know they exist yeah Uh, Yeah, so if you never registered your child if you never sent them to school if you never got any documents for them if you never got them a device but then Mm -hmm. there was a story that i uh heard i think it was maybe on this american life of of a girl who was brought up that way and then Mm -hmm. was trying to 
so she was brought up homeschooled, everything, mm-hmm. and then tried to establish that she was an actual citizen. A person, and she And couldn't. it was really difficult and couldn't do it. Because there was so, no record. Right, and so, because the society demanded And then she what like happened? She entity um, She oh. could sell her services on the <laughs> <laughs> digital block yeah, market. Yeah, she's going to be very valuable one day. Um, <laughs> so, can you just tell me, do you remember the election day shooting that day? I do. What were you shooting then? Uh, we actually <laughs> were shooting two scenes that would have been so interesting and relevant before and then sort of became a thousand times more interesting and relevant. <laughs> uh, you know, I was up really late watching the election mm-hmm. and I had to get up. I had only had a few hours sleep and got up and I had two scenes with Joe Fines, who plays the commander. And mm-hmm. one of them um, was where I think I guess it was four episodes four and five. And one of them is when he explains to me what Nolita de Bastardus Carbon Dora means, mm-hmm. which is the Latin phrase meaning loosely meaning don't <laughs> let the bastards grind you down. Uh, and of course, you, you couldn't help but take a little bit of an extra inhale of breath Does in ch- that scene. It change the acting choices that you make from that point forward. I don't know if it changes them. Maybe it deepens them or makes them more personal. You know, mm-hmm. hopefully I would have done the same thing anyways. But I think that it, it can't help but make them feel a little bit more personal. You know, and then the next one was the scene uh, where he tells me something awful he's done to a woman, um, a friend of mine, and and then said things are things are never better for everyone. They're always worse for some. Right? Is that right? Things aren't always better for everyone. Yeah. They're always worse for some. And I think it's. I think it's never better. Never better. Is it okay? Yeah. Good. And it's a incredible it's line to quote an author's work. I had her do it. I had her do it earlier to make sure we got it right. Um, it was it was incredibly chilling when I read it in the book. It was mm-hmm. chilling in the script to hear him say it on that particular day. I l- literally had full body chills mm-hmm. because you just you couldn't help but feel that there was just something that it was just something in the air. Well, it follows a line of his in, in which he says, "We wanted to make the world better." Yeah, mm-hmm. and she says, <laughs> "And she says better, better for whom? Right. Better." So, do you think people who uh, voted for Donald Trump, who support Donald Trump, should watch this? Would they? Yeah, for yeah. sure, absolutely. Will they get the same thing out of it? You think that's? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Will because I think a lot of them voted for their jobs. They yeah. they voted for the fact that uh, things are not economically good for mm-hmm. them, or for their children. It's more likely to be for their children, and a way of life and a job base that used to exist has disappeared. And yeah. and he promised to bring that back. Now, will he be able to keep that promise? Let's find out. But. Um, it's unlikely, for instance, in the coal industry, which even if the market for coal did improve, is is automated. You know, the all of, a lot of those jobs that used to be people jobs are now machine jobs, and that's what's happened to a lot of industry. And people are going to have to think about that too, because if you have something in which everything is made by robots, except possibly makeup artists, um, <laughs> you don't want them malfunctioning while they're doing your eyeliner. Um, no, really. That's less of a problem for uh, me. <laughs> who is going to buy all of these things that are being made, and what are they going to buy them with? Right. And Henry Ford, whatever you may think of him, had that one figured out, yep. which is why he didn't automate his right. car factories. Who's going to buy my cars, he said, if I do that. But mm-hmm. I guess the question is, that, you know, that you could see... Uh, the series, the novel, is being part of what some people say, like, oh, it's the left intelligentsia looking down on, and saying, like, this is what, you, you know, you're becoming, and, and the, that, uh, no, that, just, kind of, that kind of response. I just took people kind of, at their word. You know, yeah. I was reading newspapers in the yeah. uh, 1984, and, and that's what people were saying they wanted to do. Yeah. Oh, uh, so you know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't call that looking down. I call it, you know, literally accepting <laughs> what they have said and saying this is what it would be like. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about something. Uh, you, you tweet a lot, which I think most people would not expect of 
Uh, yeah, it was an accident. <laughs> you're, you're a novelist. Um, you're uh, not a millennial. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. Uh, <laughs> what kind of insight do you think that gives you into to Trump and the you know he is the, the Twitter president? Yeah, I don't think it gives him any insight. <laughs> <laughs> um, you think he should stop tweeting? No, no. I, he can do as he wishes. I, I think it's a, another sideshow, uh, and I. You, you don't know how much of the vacillation and pivoting and contradiction is is actually just what magicians do, mm-hmm. which is watch my hand over here, and meanwhile with my other hand I'm doing the real thing mm-hmm. that you're not looking at because I've distracted you. Do you think that that's what he's doing? I don't know. The, the, right there, are these uh, different uh, d- thoughts d- on Trump. Whether they, it's uh, it's a distraction, it's all on purpose, it's all random. It's yeah, all, I know. You know, unpredictability is a strategy, or he's just unpredictable. <laughs> well, it is. Like <laughs> or he really is just unpredictable. <laughs> it's like a. Uh, a movie screen on which there is an ambiguous image mm-hmm. and then you ask the audience to interpret it mm-hmm. and you're going to get all kinds of different interpretations because the image is inherently ambiguous mm. so is this a is it a lion is it somebody with a lot of hair is it a uh, <laughs> <laughs> what is it is it a jellyfish what what are we looking at and we we don't know and if and if, if we really knew there wouldn't be all of this discussion so is it more surreal walking around Washington uh, with this being the reality that we're in um, or, 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 or the, walking onto the set? Or the illusion seeing, of reality <laughs> that we're in. You don't know. Well, but, but you, you had this uh, strange experience, right? You wrote a book 32 years ago. Um, and then now it came to life around you. You got to, and there's the scene where you slap Elizabeth. <laughs> um, so you got to actually be part of it. Um, is that was that surreal in, in a different way, or is it just it's all just this weird wor- world we're living in at this moment, or nothing is uh, completely? Uh, I've firm. always found the world rather weird. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, the world always has been quite weird. It's just that we took for granted in certain parts of this country that there was a normality, and that that was normality, mm-hmm. and that. Uh, rights were inalienable. I don't know where anybody ever got that idea because they didn't come down out of a cloud. Mm-hmm. They were uh, thought up and fought for by people. That's mm-hmm. where rights come from. Mm-hmm. And that's how they get taken away. People take them away. So what is uh, normal and how much can we count on it? And our idea of what is normal changes a lot depending on the circumstances. So when Aunt Lydia says, this may not seem normal to you now, (laughs) (laughs) it's very scary. What is going to be Mm -hmm. the new normal? Mm -hmm. Can I just ask you to chime in on that before we close? Uh, Which part? The sense of... uh, you were you were living in that alternate world in a set and and all of the uh, scenes that you were doing Mm. and then uh, the... How does that compare to the experience of like what you were saying, looking out at the White House last night and seeing uh, this uh, th- this difference in your mind between the ideal of America that you have and, mm-hmm. and thinking about your reaction to what's going on now? Yeah, you know, like I said, it, it is it is the m- most surreal experience, and I think in a way, like I said too, like that everything in that book and everything in the show is is already important to me and already Mm -hmm. was important to me and was important to me last year and was important to me when I read it when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. Um, But you cannot help but personalize it so much more. You can't help but come to a place like D.C. and look at the White House and think about the last time you thought about the White House or D.C., which is when we were talking about, you know, what happens to D.C. in the book, which (laughs) is not great. You know, so you can't help but you can't help but draw those parallels in your mind, especially if you've been living the show for the past year. Honestly, I signed right. in in April a year ago, um, and we're still in, involved in post. We're still working on mm-hmm. episode ten, the final episode. So, you, I've lived this show for a year. So everything to me is Handmaid's <laughs> Tale. Like, and so of course, coming to DC and 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 which is sort of the political center of the country, you're supposed to be. You know, it's like it's it can't help but feel more resonant and more personal. All of it, you know, which I don't think is a bad thing, because shouldn't we be personalizing politics? I mean, I work for Politico. So, so you have. 
<laughs> you're clearly taking it personally. <laughs> Pays the bills. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Margaret Atwood, Elizabeth Moss, uh, thanks for taking the time. Thank you so much. So before the election, uh, you and I talked, uh, I remember it was the morning after the third debate in Las Vegas, because I was still in my hotel room in Las Vegas, and I was working on an article that I think ended up beginning, like, the irony is that Donald Trump's candidacy might end up being the best thing for women, uh, because there was a sense that uh, he was going to lose, and (laughs) that he was going to uh, help drive up uh, female turnout to help female candidates, a lot of strong female candidates uh, that were out there. Uh, A number of the people that I talked to for that article actually won their races, like Catherine Cordes Masto. Um, And it was not a bad year for women but it was not uh, what you were expecting. <laughs> not the year we wanted, that's for sure. Um, so where, when you think back on, on sort of where the mindset was then about what it would, what it would have meant for women, uh, obviously had we elected as a country our first female president, you wanted Hillary Clinton to win also because of politics. <laughs> um, yeah, that um, is very true. Where, does that just seem like uh, a weird fantasy world now, uh, so distant? Well, the it, this is such a good reminder that elections have ramifications, and the ramifications is something that we're all living with every single day under this current administration. But I think back to uh, to our conversation that morning of because I also uh, that day uh, spent some time not only with Catherine Cortez Masto, who became the fir- first Latina mm-hmm. to ever serve in the Senate, uh, but I went uh, over to uh, Henderson, where we had uh, one of the first ever all-female ballots mm-hmm. uh, from the presidency, Senate, U.S. House, State Senate, and State House. And all those women won. Mm-hmm. Like all those women are serving in Nevada, and so I'm, it's a nice memory to think about that one Nevada moment. Uh, and women, uh, our women at Emily's List, uh, you know, fared okay. I mean, four new four new women senators, eight new women in the House of Representatives. But I had a lot of conversations that maybe I hadn't quite gotten to this thinking when you and I spoke uh, after that third debate. But in the days getting closer to the election, and I described it like this. You folks kept asking me, are women really excited about this? We're not really seeing this. And I kept explaining that everywhere I went, and every time I talked to whether it was our members mm-hmm. or activists and volunteers, there was a pent-up emotion in so many women of all ages about what this was going to mean, mm-hmm. about Seeing Hillary in a way Clinton, that just wasn't it, coming out. It was, no, and it was like, I'm too afraid to show it. It might not happen. I'm going to contain it. I'm going to just keep going until it happens. Uh, I don't want anybody to think that I care too much about this. But it was Why do you think up. that was? was Why, is I it because think, they didn't want to believe, like they couldn't I think convince a, themselves it could happen? I was going to say, I think it's a combination of we always get so close and it's taken away. And there's a lot of women who have a lot of stories about that in their lives, whether it's it's work-related or personal-related. That mm-hmm. does happen. Uh, the fear to believe and then be hurt at the end, I think that was part of it. And I think, and I think part of it is just sometimes culturally uh, there's pressure on women to – why would you vote for a woman just because she's a woman? You're not thinking this through. Yeah. And that's a really unfair thing to do. Women don't vote for women because they're women. And I assume men don't vote for men just because they're men. I don't know oh, that for some. sure. But maybe <laughs> maybe some and maybe some women too. But on, on the majority, I right. think we're looking for the best candidates, right? We're looking for the best candidates as voters. Uh, and so saying I'm... I'm excited about voting for Hillary, and I am excited about breaking this glass ceiling. I think there was a real hesitancy in that. And I think it's just a little bit cultural, and folks were getting sort of beat up online about this. So I say there was all this pent-up energy, and I told folks on election night, it is going to explode. And there are going to be I mean, tears of joy, is how I described it, tears of joy flooding not just you know the Javis Center, New York, but but living rooms across our country, because so many women 
had this emotion inside and didn't, didn't were too afraid to believe. Well, so we not, didn't. That's, that's not, not what, what happened. happened. So what does that's it mean for, for women's activism, political activism, that uh, that you came close, pretty close, and won the popular vote? By, yeah, <laughs> won the not, popular vote by nearly three million votes. Uh, but not. But didn't win. Donald but she's Trump's not the, the president. president. That's right. She's not the president. Well, that that pent up emotion, it still exploded. And that was something I didn't even expect on election night. Uh, it it resulted immediately into action. Mm-hmm. And it was, we must resist. We must lead the resistance. We must find ways to get get organized and stop what we believe Donald Trump is going to do and has begun doing, which is to roll back the clock on women's rights and opportunities uh, and our family's opportunities. And that happened instantly. Do you think it happened more in the response to that she lost than it would have happened had she won? Because you do see this this sprouting up. You guys have had a lot of energy. Uh, There's like the uh, she should run, uh, a lot of women turning out to uh, try to get recruited by the DCCC and uh, for governor and for all sorts of things. It seems like there was... uh, this explosion that could not maybe have been there in the same way had Hillary Clinton been the president. I, I it's I get that. I think about that question a lot. Like, was it that Hillary Clinton lost, or was it that Donald Trump won? And I think for different women, it was one or the other. I think it switches. I, I think for various mm-hmm. people, it's it's one or the other. I met with uh, four women who have signed up at Emily's List uh, to our Run to Win program, mm-hmm. which is we're calling on women across the country to either you know run for office or help a sister run for office. And the, I was talking to four of these folks in Lansing, and I asked all four of them, so why now? Like, what, what was it now? Yeah. Uh, none of them mentioned the words Donald Trump. They all talked about Hillary Clinton. Uh, they talked about... One talked about how inspired they were and how shocked they were that she yeah. lost. and It was so unfair. Another one talked about how they were just so certain. It was so easy. It was so certain yeah. that they, they couldn't believe that this happened. Uh, and and so I'd say that is I think it's both. I think there's definitely a reaction to Donald Trump. But I but think the, there's the, also is that. Is there more women's political activism in the wake of Hillary losing than there would have been had she won? Well, I mean, in a I, weird I don't, twist. I don't, I don't know the answer <laughs> because I would, I would have rather have tried it the other way. Well, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think our country uh, would, would definitely be in better, on a better trajectory in the other direction. Uh, you know, I don't know the answer. I, I know what's happening now, and what's happening now is unprecedented. I mean, Emily's list uh, has been working to elect pro-choice Democratic women for over three decades. Uh, since the mid-1980s. Uh, what we have spent most of those years doing is recruiting and encouraging women to think about running, to just chew on it and and don't say never and we'll be there, we'll have your back, we'll help you set up the campaigns. You just got to do it. You got to do it. We're like the cheerleaders. Like, you can do this. And we've had success in that. And we've, you know, we've elected hundreds and hundreds of women across the country with that. Uh, but that's usually how it goes. And yes, every cycle, more women come through these doors. And last election cycle, we were really excited because like over 920 women came to Emily's List talking to us about running over the whole cycle. And honestly, I was like, that's, that's pretty good for us. We've had 12,000 women since Election Day come to us and say, I want to run. And of that 12,000, how many do you think will actually activate on it? Uh, Boy, that is the million-dollar question, (laughs) right? Um, Here's the thing. Some will do it now, but some are going to do it in five years, and some are going to do it in 10 years. Uh, The fact that they have crossed over the barrier of wanting to run from not wanting to run is huge. 
And that gives us an incredible pipeline of leaders to encourage for city council races, for legislative races. I know there's some House candidates in that group. There are future senators in that group. I bet there is a future presidential candidate in that group um, because it is a it is a shift that we've never seen in and the some, same groups of women across the country, and we're seeing at different ages, and, you know, you should run for something, and millennials jumping up and wanting to run. It is a call to take action and have our voices heard in our government, and we're seeing that across the board. The day after the inauguration was the Women's March, um, or Women's Marches, I guess yeah. I should say. I was at the one in D.C., <laughs> yeah. uh, and was reporting on it, surprised that there were as many people there as there were. Yeah, um, you're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, it was I, I've never had, I, I don't know how you feel. I've never seen I, I felt like, like it was hard to get out of the metro. That's what I'm oh yeah, you got in. Um, you got in the metro. I got in the metro, but not <laughs> <laughs> um, but to go and report on it, it, it was I was not expecting it to be as big as it was. Mm-hmm. And now, and you're, you're going to give uh, the award, the Emily's List Award this year, to the resistance. Um, it seems like uh, you know you sort of uh, a lot of people position it as like women versus Donald Trump. Is that the way to think about this? Oh, I think there's a growing number of Americans yeah. uh, who are opposing Donald Trump, but so much of this is being led by women. I think about the the fabulous women leaders who organized uh, the march in Washington, but also the marches all across the country in small towns and big cities. Uh, I think about the women who who as attorneys went to the airports to try to ensure that people could get into this country when the initial travel ban came in uh, and then fought it back. Right. But uh, that's they were going it, as attorneys, right? They were not going it. as women. And so, no, so I think no, it's but, like this interesting thing that's, that's happening thing. here. Right? I think that's where we get it's seeing women step up in whatever capacity they are mm-hmm. to make change. Um, we happen to be women. But we love this country and we want this country to be stronger and we want this country uh, to provide opportunities for every everyone. And it is it, it is those women across the or all those women, I should say, across the, the country that are taking action. I mean, you saw you probably saw uh, some of the polling recently that they were trying to figure out who was doing all of the calling into the United States Senate. And they found that 86 percent of the calls coming in against the mostly against the nomination of the the Trump cabinet were from women. I mean, this is this is extraordinary. Do you have any hope that you'll see something out of the Trump White House that will make you feel uh, less? I don't know what the right way to characterize your feelings about it now. Uh, opposed, uh, frightened, um, turned off by disgusted. It seems like all of those are probably where you are right. on, on I mean, Trump. I will say. <laughs> I mean, as an American, <laughs> I hope so, right? I mean, but do you as, believe that there's a chance? That, uh, there, there's uh, Trump is because of the kind of political character he is, right? That people say like, well, maybe he'll change, maybe he'll be different, and and so there is this like sense from some that what you're getting now might not be what you'll get in six months or in a year. Do you think that that will be an issue, a, a change think, in any substantive way? I mean, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I mean, this is someone who, during his entire campaign, told us what he was going to do. And we were like, oh, he would never go that far. And since since he's been in office, that's exactly what he's tried to do. Uh, I mean, particularly as it relates to... um, to women's health care, you know, they're they're, they're going to try to put through another repeal of the Affordable Care Act and put in their own Trump care, Ryan yeah. care, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that, again, I mean, the last round was defunding Planned Parenthood and getting rid of maternity coverage. Now it sounds like they're going to let states possibly opt out of providing some preventive, basic preventive care. I mean, this is this is really rolling um, the clock backward on women, but it's also not just on the health care or the Muslim ban. That's so, so offensive. But even internationally, you know, we see this all the time at Emily's List, particularly in our polling of women voters going into elections. Uh, where the country stands in the world and the security of the nation uh, is really important to women because they're also you know, like, are my children safe here? Yeah. And you- this uncertainty that he's 
that he's instilling around the world is terrifying. Do you have any hope in the idea that Ivanka Trump is managing the sort of women's issues portfolio for the White House and uh, that she'll take care of it, and uh, which seems to be what she is trying to project and what the White House is projecting uh, on her behalf? No, I, now that she is actually working uh, in the White House, you know, for a while she was sort of outside doing this. But now that she's working in the White House, she's as far as I'm concerned, she's part of an administration that is pushing a bad health care bill that's going to strip insurance away from 24 million. It's going to defund Planned Parenthood. Uh, I mean, he he signed an executive order that was going to roll back some of the equal pay uh, uh, regulations that were helping. Uh, I mean. So, she so was it, in. She was in his ear then. So when, like, Iva- when Ivanka not, Trump says that she's championing, championing women's issues, what do you say to her? Say, when are we going to see that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> she's off to to meet with uh, Angela Merkel and do a women's conference there. It's it's, it's all taken care of in their minds on this. Uh, Which okay, that alone, like after the meeting with Donald Trump. And Merkel here in the United States, and that very strange incident of the handshake, right? Yeah. The the miss handshake, and he's gonna like Merkel's in charge of Germany. Why is she? Why why is I? I I'm just, how am I, how do I put this? Because it's I find it so offensive. Does he not think of Merkel as an equal, Donald Trump? Well, Merkel invited Ivanka Trump. I mean, part of what's going on here is that uh, people trying, are using she, well, she's try, people trying to figure just out a like way Justin into Trudeau, the administration. Right? And, and, uh, you know, sure. Or looking at Jared Kushner and saying, like, these are the people who have the power, so yeah. you know, why not work them, right? Well, these <laughs> folks, Ivanka and Kushner, have had his ear since the beginning of this campaign. Like, they're part of the family. And what we have gotten is some pretty, uh, dare I say, policies that have been very devastating, suggestions of policies that are even more devastating to women. Uh, On top of that, it's it's the photo coming out of the White House of all men in a room signing a bill on women's health care. Right? It's, it is a, um, you know, constant churn of, of sort of pushing, it feels like pushing women aside. And that's got to start at the top. And Donald Trump seems to have no interest in that whatsoever. Uh, I told you that we talked to Margaret Atwood and Elizabeth Moss. Uh, and I'm curious what your thought is on both the role of art in uh, thinking this stuff through. Of course, in, in The Handmaid's Tale, it refers to the resistance. That's what <laughs> what they're called. Um, that book was written and uh, published in 1985. So she must have come up with that sometime in like 83 or 84. Um, when I talked to Ma, uh, for, uh, when I talked to them, Moss was wearing a uh, Je suis and Suffragette uh, T-shirt. So she's... Uh, <laughs> That's fantastic. I, I think... Her politics and yours probably agree uh, on, uh, on at least the issue of uh, the presidency. Uh, so I'm curious both in terms of how you see art playing into this and how you see uh, the activism from celebrities playing into what uh, this is going to be over the months and years ahead. Yeah. Well, I, I think of it exactly as, as you just asked before, which was the the women who are attorneys who went to the airport you know they went as attorneys uh, but they're still women i think i think it's fantastic that whoever you are and whatever your background is that you can bring your experience to this movement and it's so incredibly important for all of us to think about what we bring to to the resistance, uh, and in this case, I think it's just fantastic to see um, more of our artists, our musicians, uh, our actresses uh, step up and, because they have such an incredible voice, and they really have an opportunity to educate a lot of folks and to move um, people through. I mean, we know how par- powerful it is to move people through art. I think it's very very important, but it's just for me a continuation of the 12,000 women who want to run and the building of of armies of attorneys to go uh, fight for people. And I think this is another uh, piece. And it's, and by the way, the resistance is working. 
I mean, this is a Republican Congress and a president who has passed no significant legislation. They failed uh, thus far anyway on their attempt on repealing the Affordable Care Act. Uh, you know, the, the travel ban is stuck in the courts. Like they, they have not been successful. And a lot of this is the resistance putting pressure in town halls, on phone calls, in the press, in the public. Uh, it's working. We just got we got to keep going. And but we that's go the with big question, right, when it comes to the resistance is how you keep the enthusiasm up. Right. Um, because uh, that is hard always in politics. It's uh, proven very difficult for uh, for Democrats in general. Um, in fact, the, the, the article that I, I wrote, I'm remembering it off of the Women's March, that I think the first sentence is they want it to be uh, the Tea Party, but they're worried it'll be Occupy Wall Street. Right. Like the the. the this idea that the resistance will actually get elected. You know, the Tea Party won. They changed the the way the government yeah. works. Um, Occupy Wall Street uh, sat in some parks for a while, and then nothing really changed, right? Right, but we but but that's already proven right. to, to that, be so far. Right? So, I mean, I mean, I, so I does not, that make you feel like I confident have, going into I, the end I of this, this year? Question to, all the yeah. time. I have total confidence in this energy uh, continuing to grow. Uh, and it's organizing now, and it's organizing through organizations like Emily's List, but it's also organizing through the huddles around the women's movement uh, community. It's organizing through Indivisible. I mean, I could just keep going yeah. on and on. It is, and it's taking action at the local level. I mean, we just had we just had a special election uh, primary in Georgia, a seat that was Newt Gingrich's seat, a seat that Mitt Romney won by over twenty points. It was close with Trump versus Hillary. She lost by one, uh, and our Democratic candidate raised over eight million dollars. Had. So many boots on the ground and and got what forty eight percent of the vote in an eleven way primary. Uh, it's happening. Like the electoral piece of it is already happening, and and it's happening with the women who are stepping up, uh, wanting to run for house seats across the country. Uh, this is it's unprecedented. So, last question here: you you're a big Hillary Clinton fan. You. Not only wanted her to win and voted for her, I assume, even though it's a secret ballot. But I, <laughs> probably, I probably voted uh, for her. <laughs> it's it's more than just you wanted the Democratic candidate to win. You're very attached to, and more than like she's a woman. As as Barack Obama's been trying to figure out his post presidency, one of the things that is very much on his mind was from the outset of trying to figure out life under Trump was that he wanted to pull back and not be a big public presence uh, and certainly not be a direct opposition to Trump, uh, even as he starts to edge forward in these next couple of weeks. Hillary Clinton has been out and about a bunch lately. What role do you see her playing? Is it is there the danger of her continuing to be uh, someone who... Like Obama's worry is that the Democrats won't get to the next generation if he's crowding out the sun. Uh, is that a, an issue with Hillary Clinton, or is it that sh- should she step back? Should she be uh, more active than she has been, or is she? You, th- you think she's just uh, got it just right? <laughs> uh, and I think about that with President Obama as well. Is I, I actually don't buy that they they will take up all of the spotlight. I think they've got very important important voices in this moment, and they're going to have to figure out exactly the, the right place to, to use their voices. And, and he, I, you know, Hillary, as we, we've seen, is doing some of that. And I am sure President Obama will do that and do that appropriately. These are very, <laughs> very like smart people. He, he is, she's been more directly against Trump and political than I think we're going to see out of him, at least for right, a while. Yeah, well, we are talking about Of course, he was the, the president. I was just going to say, Hey, I, you know, there's sort of the I don't know if there are. Well, there are no more rules, it seems like, around the presidency, <laughs> but sort of the old unwritten rules of, sort of getting out of the way of the next president and the good, clean transfer of power uh, puts President Obama in a very different place. Uh, but, you know, Hillary Clinton has served this nation in so many capacities, uh, including for incredible years as secretary of state. Uh, and let me remind everybody, like her favorability leaving the secretary of state post was 
if not close to I seventy. Mean, it's it's like the, they, the constant pattern like of her life is that people like her when she's not running for something. She's she's really good while she's serving yeah. the nation, and I think uh, she's going to find her voice as a stateswoman of this country, and that's going to be very very important. But the generations that are coming up right now are so powerful and so exciting. And, you know, a lot of folks ask me, well, oh, there's no, I hear this all the time. There's no bench. Are you kidding me? We have a great bench. I mean, Emily's list has a great bench. I mean, think about women who should be pondering running for president. I hope it's in their head. Our folks like Senator Elizabeth Warren and Kirsten Gillibrand and Amy Klobuchar, Senator Kamala Harris, fantastic new senator from California. Uh, and now we're recruiting for for women to run for governorship in 18. And boy, they are some there are some really good, good quality candidates coming up. You know, that's that's your next round. Yeah. Right. I mean, the, the bench is building. It's there. There's also a lot of good men. I'm talking about the women. I agree that there's actually <laughs> some list good is men. Focused on women. There it's are okay. some good men uh, in that pool. I, I just want to say that I, I realize that. Uh, I think in a moment like this, uh, this this is not a normal presidency. Uh, and I think a lot of folks in this country know that. Uh, you don't have a president with a favorable 40 or under uh, without some grave concerns about the direction of his administration. And in a situation like this, uh, with the uncertainty that he's placing internationally and I would argue rapidly economically in this country, I think we need all the voices we can get. All right, Stephanie Shriak, thanks for taking the time. Great, thank you so much. That's it. Okay, if you've gotten this far, you like the podcast, and that is great news, but here would be even better news. If you told a friend about it, if you got on iTunes and made sure to rate and review, and also, of course, to subscribe so that you'll get the next episode right into your podcast app, whatever app it may be.